0: Well, I I think I can speak for my wife that (laughs) that, uh, we've been enjoying um, these times together. How many of you missed Denise last week, though? She wasn't here. (laughs) And um, but she's here tonight. We're excited. I'd like you to turn tonight in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four. And um, this is week five, five weeks, and uh, it's been fun learning about marriage together. And um, Ephesians chapter five or four, excuse me, uh, verse twenty-six. I'm going to read here, and uh, and then we'll pray. Paul writes, "Be angry." Everybody say, "Be angry." You're like, yes, (laughs) be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have ordained, created this wonderful thing that we call marriage. How you bring two people together for love, for companionship, to be on mission together. But Lord, we we know when when two lives come together, there's going to be conflict. And so tonight, Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn how to navigate those type of things the right way. I thank you for each and every couple that is gathered here tonight, those that are watching online, and Lord, we pray that you would just minister to our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a little girl by the name of Susie came home from her preschool one day, she was about four years old, and she had just heard the story of Snow White for the very first time. And she was so excited to come home and share the story with her mother. And so she comes home and she tells the story with, you know, just great enthusiasm. And she gets to the the part where, you know, the prince um, kisses Snow White. and, And then she asked her mom, she says, do you know what happened next? And her mom said, they lived happily ever after? And she said, no, they got married And without even knowing it, (laughs) little Susie hit on a truth, right? That getting married and living happily ever after doesn't always, it's not as easy as it sounds. It's not a fairy tale. And so we've been talking the last couple of weeks that all you need to fall in love is what? A pulse. You get an A, you get a sucker, right? (laughs) All you need to fall in love is a pulse, but to stay in love, you need what? A plan. Man, are you guys awake tonight? Come on. <laughs> Let's try it again. All you need to fall in love is what? Pulse. Pulse. To stay in love? A plan. A plan. All right. So we have been talking about all in these five weeks of this picture of the house that we see that Paul lays out before us in Ephesians chapter 5. And the foundation of that house is found in verse 21, the second part of it, where he says, being submitted to one another in the fear of the Lord. So the foundation, again, is two people submitted to Jesus, submitted to his word. That's the starting point. But then as you are framing up that house, you start framing up the walls of the house and and walls have doors and windows in it. So it's points of entry, points of illumination. And that's found in the second part of verse 21, being submitted to one another. It's two people, because they're submitted to Jesus, saying we're going to now walk in a mutual submission and love and respect for one another. And so that right there lays the the foundation the walls very important of this house this marriage that that God is building and this is before he says one word to the husband one word to the wife about their roles and then we saw that the third part of that house is the roof and the roof is really what's laid out before us In verses 22 through 33 is this covering, this picture. You know, we, we talk about how love covers a multitude of sins and that it's this self-sacrificing kind of love that God calls us to to love in a sacrificial way where as a wife you're coming under your husband to support him. As the husband you're seeking to have that servant love and leadership for uh, your wife and so that becomes the roof and then the last part of it that we talked about is clear back in verse 18 and that's the power supply. Be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, we have spent the last couple weeks talking about that roof the self-sacrificing love we talked about the mission of marriage that god calls us to and and we talked about the roles the role of the wife in that mission the role of the husband in that mission but there's something that is a part of every single relationship marriage relationship friendship Anytime you're in, in, you get close with somebody, you're living with somebody. One of the things that you can always count on is conflict. In Proverbs chapter twenty-seven, verse seventeen, it says, "As iron sharpens iron, so does a man sharpen the countenance of his friend." And when do you see? When you see iron being sharpened, what happens? Sparks fly. And tonight we're going to talk about those sparks. We're going to talk about Dealing with conflict, and I'll be honest with you: when Denise and I first got married, she did not like confrontation. She ran from confrontation. In fact, our very first fight as a married couple it had something to do with what a lot of fights do. It had to do with money. It had to do with a a bill um, that we had to pay. And so, you know, we started talking about it, and you know, Denise said, "Well." you know, I think we should do this. And I fired back with, well, not fired back, but I I said, you know, well, I was kind of thinking maybe we should, you know, approach this in this way. And this was her response. Okay, fine, we'll do it your way. And she just, you know, like shut down. And that was I, that was what I was looking for. I, I wanted to have a dialogue. I wanted to have a conversation. I wanted to be able to say, "Hey, you know, we're we're in a partnership. We're going to do this together." So, you know, I want to hear why do you think we should do this and handle this this way. And then I want you to hear, you know, why why I think this way. And and so we ended up talking, and we ended up doing it my way. Um, <laughs> but uh, but. But, you know, she she had a tendency early on to run from confrontation.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, I still don't like confrontation. Uh, I, and I really hate conflict. And I think a lot of people can identify with that. Uh, my natural reaction is definitely uh, to either flee or just to comply, not wanting to get him um, angry or upset at me. I wanted to keep the peace. I wanted him to be happy with me. To stay in love with me, right? <laughs> Never leave me. And really, these things, a lot of a lot of this, which I didn't realize early on in marriage, and we certainly he didn't realize, um, but just a lot of that was deep seated fears that really uh, stemmed from my own childhood, because my mom. And My dad, they divorced when I was, like, two, and he literally was just out of my life and out of my picture. Then he gave me and my sister up for adoption to a stepdad who was abusive. And so, um, yeah, so I realized that some of my defense mechanisms come from an unhealthy place. But obviously, over time, as I grew in our relationship with one another and my walk with the Lord and his word, I came to realize, okay, confrontation's normal. It's needed. And when it's handled correctly, like, it's actually, like, imperative for our relationship to grow. And, um, and, you know, it has to be done face-to-face. And so for all of us runners out there, it's just at one time or another, you've got to just you've got to stand and you've got to have those face-to-face conversations. And, yeah, sparks definitely can fly, but they're not necessarily a bad thing um, when they're handled the right way. And I think with the right heart and with the right motives when we see that in one another. And the Lord definitely has used us in one another's lives um, through that. Um, but in those times when confrontation is handled in the wrong way, it can get messy, and it can be so, so hurtful. And we've definitely had our share of moments over the years, just probably like all of you, um, when that has happened. And our biggest regret in those heated moments is always the words that fly out of our mouths in, in during those times, because they're, they're what inflicts so much pain and can really do some deep, deep wounding and damage. And we know from Proverbs eighteen twenty one, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And uh, But, boy, aren't you so thankful that we can run to the throne of grace Amen. in our time of need and that forgiveness is there from the Lord and then we, through his grace, can forgive one another and be healed. Um, but there was, it's kind of an embarrassing story, but I'm going to tell it early on in, I don't know, I mean, yeah, because I don't even think we had kids yet, so it was pretty early on when we had gotten to some conflict, some argument and and this is very rare for us, but it really, really got heated. I have no idea what it was. I can't remember, but it definitely things were said that were really harmful and hurtful and I got so angry and so mad that I grabbed my purse and I left the house and I got in the car and I drove off and but then I'm like shaking and I'm thinking like what did I just do like I was shocked in myself that I did that like I literally left the house and drove off and and so I'm like but then where do I go and what do I do because back then there were no cell phones and I certainly wasn't going to drive to my in-law's house (laughs) because I didn't want them to know we were fighting. And uh, so I I was like just driving in circles around the neighborhood. and, And in that time, just like pouring my heart out to the Lord. And first it was all about what Rob did and what he said and, and all of that. But as I continued to drive around trying to figure out what in the world I was going to do, it was that humbling thing that started happening of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my own heart and the things that I said. And so um, it, I don't know how long I was out there just driving around, but I knew eventually I had to go home. <laughs> so, But I was like, Toward the end, I'd be like, okay, the next time I make the lap, he's going to be out there in the yard just waiting for me, you know, and just just receiving me with love and asking for forgiveness. But nope, no Rob. So uh, finally, I humbled myself. I went back in the house. And what's so, so funny is like he's nowhere to be found. I finally go up to the bedroom. He's sleeping. I think he was just pretending to be asleep. <laughs> But it was one of those moments, and it happened in the car before I even got in the house, where I had to come to that point of, of forgiving Rob regardless of whether he asked for forgiveness or not. I needed forgiveness and so from the Lord, and, and I needed to forgive him. So um, I climbed into bed. And resolved to forgive and, and let it go. And that, that God's mercies are new every morning. So that was probably one of my most crazy moments. Now,
0: I will say, what I did was not good. So that was not a good example, guys, that I just went off and went to bed. And it was like, whatever, you know. And, um, but what's really interesting about that story is I had completely forgot about it. And years later... When we were actually preparing to do a marriage conference and we were going to be talking on this subject, and Denise um, shared this story, I was like, I don't even remember that at all, you know? And, 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 and the reason why I bring that up is because, I mean, 20, at least 20 years had gone by, and this is the point of this. She never brought it up again. She I, never, I only
1: brought it up to use it as an, as an analogy and yeah. teaching. Yeah, yeah.
0: She, but for twenty years, she never ever brought that up again, and she had forgiven me of being insensitive, and and it just blew my mind. Like I don't even remember that. I'm like, are you sure that was me? <laughs> you know, was that another husband? Yeah, but uh, but. Um, I didn't even remember it, but the fact, it really blessed me to think that after all those years, she never, ever brought it up again. And that oftentimes is a problem in marriage, is that couples live with a deep-seated resentment that leads to unresolved issues, and people don't want to have the confrontation and so everything just gets suppressed and it gets swept under the carpet, but then you end up as it's under the carpet tripping over it and then it ends up coming out when in an explosion of anger. It's like the guy who came to work one day, and he just looked like he had gone, you know, 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. I mean, he just looked not physically beat up, but he was just down and just really dejected. And, and his buddy said, you know, man, you look like you had a horrible night last night. He goes, oh, I did. My wife and I got into a major fight. And he said, you know, every time my wife, we, every time we get in a fight, my wife gets historical. And he goes, Don't you mean hysterical? And he goes, yeah, she gets that too, but she gets historical. She brings up every rotten thing that I've ever done. And you know what? I've seen a lot of people that live that way, always dealing on past hurts.
1: Yeah, and you think about um, uh, Peter in Matthew chapter 18 when he came to the Lord and he said, Lord, how... Often, should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Peter thought that was pretty gracious to say seven <laughs> times. And Jesus says back, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And Jesus isn't saying to keep count here because uh, that counts 490 times, you know, and then that's it, I'm done. That's, that's all, you know, the last time I have to forgive you. No, he's saying basically don't count just that we have to continually be forgiving. And he goes on in that chapter to make the point that, that he has forgiven us such a great debt that we could never pay. And so we need to show the same grace and forgiveness to our debtors. And, of course, that includes our spouse to forgive as Jesus has forgiven us. And so
0: that's why Paul makes this statement, gives us really this warning. If you look back at Ephesians chapter four, when he says, be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And here's what this verse is teaching us. It's teaching us that it's normal to get angry especially when you have been wronged or there's been an injustice. Anger is a normal human emotion. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. But this is when it becomes a sin is when we stay angry. So how you deal with your anger is what matters. And if you let it fester, this is what Paul's saying. You're giving foothold to the devil. It's the idea, the picture there is like you've opened up the door and you've let the devil put his foot in the door so that you can't close it. And you know this, the devil just doesn't want to have his foot in the door of your heart or his foot in the door of your family. He wants to get his whole self in there. And the anger, the unresolved anger that turns to bitterness is his passageway into our lives and into our marriages. And that's why the writer of Hebrews warns about letting a root of bitterness spring up in our hearts because he says, it causes many, not just you, but everybody around you to become defiled. And listen, the devil's goal for your marriage is to destroy it. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't like you. He doesn't want to see you loving one another and being that example to your kids, an example to your neighbors. He wants to see you guys at each other's throats. So, you can't let him get his foot in the door, and you can't let things fester because they're going to escalate, but we are all going to have conflicts. So the question is, will the conflict become a war? Will it become, will it fester and become that thing that ruins us? Will it become that thing that defines us? Will it be that thing that defines our our marriage where we just continue to react in the flesh toward one another? And you know what is at the heart of roots of bitterness? It's unforgiveness. And even when a person doesn't deserve to be forgiven, we need to forgive, listen, for our own sake, for our own hearts. In fact, I want you to, Continue. Look at verse 29 of Ephesians 4. And I want you to notice what Paul says here. He says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know that we can grieve the Holy Spirit? Isn't that heavy to think about? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he says this, let, there's that word. Remember we talked about in Philippians 2, let. Here's let, it's a choice. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, and then here's the key. It's what Denise just said. Even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And this is a theme that we see in the New Testament. That when we come to Christ, this is a a overarching message of the New Covenant is that when you come to Jesus, the Bible says that you become a new creation. That you become literally a new person. That you not only get a new status in your relationship with God, but you also get a new nature. Because the Holy Spirit is now living inside of you. And so here's a big theme that we see in the New Testament. This is what Paul's really hitting on here is this idea. Be who you are in Christ instead of who you used to be in your flesh. And that's what we have to get ingrained into our mind is who the Lord has made us. And we want to be who we are in Christ rather than who we are in our flesh. And who we are in Christ, we've been given this mandate, if you would, this command to forgive. And the reason that we are to forgive is because we have been forgiven of so much. Forgiveness is non-negotiable. Remember when Jesus taught on prayer, he said, pray each day. This is one of the things. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. He's assuming that we are going to choose to walk in forgiveness. Jesus said we need to forgive because we've been forgiven of so much. And so that's what we want to talk about in the rest of our time tonight, is, is what does it look like to walk in forgiveness? And here's a couple things that we need to understand. If you're taking notes, we need to understand, first of all, that forgiveness is more than an emotion, it's an action. Forgiveness is more than an emotion, it's more than a feeling, it's an action. And this is where I think so many people get so messed up, is because they can... Make a decision to forgive someone and they can go through the steps in their heart and they can emotionally feel like, okay, I've forgiven them. And they go to bed that night feeling so good, like there's just been a release, like, okay, Jesus, I'm practicing what you told me to do and I'm forgiving them. But then they wake up in the morning mad all over again. I know I've done that. Who here's done that? You know Yeah, you wake up and you're just frustrated and upset all over again. And that's one of the reasons why we need to understand. Forgiveness is an action, and it's a daily thing. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 23, I think we have an incredible picture of what it, this action looks like of walking in forgiveness. And it happens when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness. So they're out in a hot desert and they're thirsty and up ahead, they see this pool of water and they get excited and they go running up to the pool of water and they throw their hands in and they scoop the water up to to get a drink, but it's bitter. They spit it out. They name the place Mara, which means bitterness. And how often does that happen in our lives, that we enter into a relationship that we think is going to refresh us, but something happens that causes that relationship to, to, to become bitter in our hearts? Well, what happens to the children of Israel is remarkable because this is what God says to Moses. Moses, I want you to see that tree by the water. I want you to cut it down cut down that tree by the water and throw it into the water and it's going to make the bitter waters sweet. That's exactly what he does. He cuts down this tree, throws it into the water and the water becomes sweet and they drank to their delight. Well, there's an incredible symbolism in this because by every pool of Mara and bitterness that we have in our lives, there's a tree already by the water. It's the cross. And the Lord tells us to take the cross and throw it in to the bitter pool and it'll make the bitter water sweet. Because you see, when we get hurt, this is our tendency. We we wanna say, Lord, justice needs to be served. Somebody needs to pay for what was done to me. And you know what he says? I already did. I did on the cross. Throw in the tree. Realize that I paid the price for that sin. And that's how we deal with bitterness so that it doesn't ruin us. We have to daily apply the cross. We have to daily realize that Jesus already paid for the sin of our spouse or our friend or the sin that's been done against us. Jesus paid for that. Justice was done on Calvary, so we daily have to just throw in the cross. Rather than, you know, trying to stand for our rights and oh justice. And it's like, nope, you paid the price. I'm gonna throw in the tree. I'm gonna realize that you already paid the price for that. It's such a key, such a beautiful picture and analogy.
1: Yeah, it truly is amazing. And when we do take hold of it and we put this into practice. In our lives, we can say it's tried and it's proven. God's word is true, but we have to make that choice. Um, but I do want to take a moment to say that if some, there might be some in this room where, um, you know, unforgiveness does have a stronghold on your life. Uh, the root of bitterness has taken hold and there's a lot of defiling that takes place in your marriage and in your home because of that. Maybe it's from some very deep pain or trauma that is even taking place in your marriage or maybe from your past, but it's affecting your marriage. And so you hear what Rob's saying here and you know it's true, but in your mind you're just like, I just can't. I can't. And so we want to say to you that you can't, can't but in Christ you can do all things it is possible but sometimes you just need to cry out for some help and so maybe you're in a position in a place where you're like you know what this has been going for a long time and I'm just can't I can't seem to do it on my own and we would just want to encourage you you know, to humble yourself, to confess that there's things at the church where you can get help. There is counseling. We have skills classes. We have going peace retreats. We have, we have so many things to come and and come alongside and help in those areas because sometimes we just are stuck and we need that. Um, I also want to, just for you ladies, I don't know for the guys, but for ladies, if if this is an area, there's two amazing books. There's one new one out by Lisa Turkhurst. It's called Forgiving What You Can't Forget, Discover How to Move On, Make Peace with Painful Memories, and Create a Life That's Beautiful Again. And then Nancy Leda Moss, hers is amazing. It's called Choosing Forgiveness, Moving From Hurt to Hope. But the reality is for all of us in this room, living with one another on a daily basis is obviously going to come with many, many challenges because we're exposed to one another, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all our weaknesses, all our failures, all our faults. And um, like Rob mentioned earlier, that roof being a covering, 1 Peter 4, 8, above all things have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. And and uh, that fervent love it, it speaks of being steadfast and unselfish. It's a mm. deep and unfailing love um, and that makes up for many of our faults and um, When my kids were littler, when they were in elementary school, they were really going through a a time and a phase where all they did was tattletale on one another. I mean, just felt like all the time, mom this and mom that, and he did that, she did that. And it was just driving me crazy. And so one day I called them all into the kitchen and over to the trash can, and I opened the lid, and I told them to look inside and, what do you see? And they're like, ew, it's gross. You know, it had all the scraps and the dirty plates and their snotty Kleenex and all of that. And then they're like, oh, and it stinks. It's so smelly, you know. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It's very, very stinky and smelly and yucky. And then I took the lid and I covered it. And then I said, now what do you see? Now what do you smell? Nothing. It's gone, you know. And I used that, of course, as an analogy for them that, look, you are all naughty at sometimes, and you're stinky and yucky when you're not being kind to one another, and you're not sharing, and you're teasing, and all of those things that are not right. But I was trying to get them to realize that heart of wanting to get each other in trouble and tattletale another um, was wrong. And um, that they, they loved one another. And so I used that analogy to just say sometimes you just have to put the lid on it. Just put the lid on it. And I felt like the Lord later just reminded me that that, that I needed to apply that to, in my own life and in my marriage. Sometimes you just have to put the lid on it. Cover one another's sins with love. Um, when our impulse is to first point the finger at one another, where we want to expose one another's faults and sins, uh, and maybe even to other people, um, that... Uh, we need love. It's love that's going to motivate us to cover those sins and forgive them, knowing and trusting that God is so much better at convicting our spouse of those areas of faults and sins than we ever could be. And so um, it's, it's a beautiful picture of that. Um, I do want to say um, that notice it says it covers a multitude of sin, it doesn't say every sin. Mm-hmm. There's some sin that has to be exposed, and it has to mm-hmm. be dealt with. Can you just talk about that for a minute? What would you say? I'm putting you on the spot, but I think you do need a little clarity because sometimes we're like, really? Like if people knew what was really going on in my house, maybe there's abuse. Oh, yeah. There, yeah. There's things happening, and you're like, but they say I just got to— I just gotta cover it up, you know. That's not what this is saying. So can yeah, you give yeah. some clarity to that real quick?
0: Yeah, we're we're talking about, you know, two two people in a marriage who, you know, are again, go back to the foundation. Like if they're they're seeking to follow the Lord together. We're talking about two people that are wanting to have a healthy marriage and and relationship. We're not talking about, you know, a marriage that is completely dysfunctional and where one person is being abusive or being a manipulative or, or, you know, that, that sort of thing. Ladies, There's some
1: kind of sin. Yeah. Taking yeah, place yeah. Ladies, you are
0: never, ever, you know, called to stay in a relationship where you are being abused. And, um, you know, we've helped ladies get out of their house and into a safe Place and, and and we're not saying that you know okay that's your ticket to divorce um, somebody. We want to you know be work towards reconciliation if that's at all possible and if a person that you know the other person is you know open to that. Um, but also when there's been adultery, when there's been um, you know that type of thing, when there's been you know uh, great porn pornography abuse and, and and that type of thing going on um you know we're not just saying like oh just cover it up just you know um no, and, that, no, no.
1: and that applies for the the it's men both ways. too it's, it's both, both ways. ways yeah it's both so. ways
0: um but you know when you when when that heart though is to i mean the lord is always his heart is always toward forgiveness always toward reconciliation and, um, you know, we love seeing God do miracles in relationships. And one of the things that we've really been seeing God do some great things about at our, um, in the uh, skills classes that she mentioned, um, the Grow in Peace retreats, is they talk a lot about um, your pain and peace cycle. In those and what's what that pain cycle is is knowing your triggers and um, it's very in, enlightening and like Denise said she had some things from her past and her her upbringing that she didn't even realize that were how were they were affecting her in our relationship and so that's good um, to bring up it's one of the things when we do premarital counseling that we talk with those couples about so um, is that does that make sense you know there are certain things where we're not just saying like hey blame it. But I will say this, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, is that regardless of how bad your spouse hurts you, you still have to forgive for you or else it's going to destroy you. And we're going to talk about that next. So forgiveness is not a feeling or an emotion. It's an action. That's the first thing. The second thing that we need to realize is the difference between forgiveness, reconciliation, and trust. And this is what I want to explain. is Forgiveness is a must. Jesus said, you need to forgive them Because I've forgiven you. Jesus on the cross to the people that crucified him said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is a must. And forgiveness only takes one. It's you. It's all about your heart. It's you coming to that place of saying, you know what? I'm going to throw in the tree. I'm going to apply the cross and what Jesus did to this wrong that's been done against me. And understand, when we forgive somebody who has sinned against us, it doesn't mean, listen, listen, it doesn't mean we're denying that they've sinned against us or wronged us. It doesn't mean that we're accepting the wrong that was committed. It doesn't mean that we're even overlooking it. This doesn't mean that we're diminishing the sin or denying the sin in any way. It doesn't mean that I'm saying, okay, I'm fine, that's okay, I understand, nobody's perfect. Forgiveness doesn't mean any of that. In choosing to forgive, I am saying that I'm giving up my right to seek vengeance and justice because I realize this is more between them and God than it is about them and me. It's giving up that right. It's placing for your own heart's health. It's placing that person in the hands of God. It's recognizing that justice was served on the cross. So I'm going to throw in the tree. And if need be, every single day. So I'm giving up my right to stay mad because I know Jesus paid the price. Now, even though you've forgiven your heart and you even tell them, hey, I just want you to know I have forgiven you, it doesn't necessarily mean that reconciliation takes place because forgiveness takes one. It's just you, your heart. Reconciliation takes two. And reconciliation is predicated upon repentance so forgiveness takes one me my heart reconciliation takes two you can forgive someone but not be reconciled to them because they haven't confessed they haven't repented they haven't owned their sin so there's no way to reconcile with that person reconciliation follows repentance. But even when there has been reconciliation, listen, even when there has been reconciliation, that doesn't mean that there's always going to be trust right away. And sometimes there might not ever be trust depending upon the depth of the sin that was committed. And this is one of the hardest things that people have to deal with is people come to me all the time and say, you know, I don't get this. You know, I know Jesus has forgiven me. How come she can't? And And I've talked to her and I know she's forgiven him, but she doesn't trust him. And that's what he doesn't understand. Because this is the thing that we need to understand when trust has been broken is that it takes time, and consistent behavior in order for it to be earned back. So forgiveness takes one, one person, you. It's all about your heart. Reconciliation takes two, and it's two people coming together, admitting their wrongs, repenting of that, but trust, it takes time and consistent behavior in order for it to be won and brought back together. And we just have to learn that. When you've broken trust, you have to realize that, hey, in order for it to be restored, it's going to take some time.
1: Yeah, I often think about the story of Abraham and Sarah and how... um... Uh, early on in their marriage, when they were traveling, they came in a situation where Abraham feared for his life, and so he tells Sarah to lie and pretend not to be his wife. And so she's taken away from him, it's it, it, to this foreign king's palace to become his wife. She's totally left unprotected by Abraham alone. She's at the mercy of another man. Um, and then so basically Abraham has betrayed her to save his own life. And uh, it's hard to imagine the emotional trauma and pain that Sarah endured. But we see that God protects Sarah, and he miraculously works, and he gets her back, into, uh, back to Abraham. And uh, boy, talk about a woman who had a right to be angry uh, and bitter and not trust her husband, right? I mean, that was crazy. So, some time goes on, and eventually, I'm sure that wound began to heal. And then the unthinkable happens. He does it all over again, he betrays Sarah. Uh, to save his own life, and she's back in the same situation again. It's really a horrible story, (laughs) but God, but God never left Sarah. God saw Sarah, God protected Sarah, and God brings Sarah out of that situation and back to Abraham. And boy, can you imagine what that conversation or (laughs) confrontation uh, sounded like? Um, I'm sure Abraham said he was sorry, and he had all his excuses for why he did what he did. But there is no doubt that trust was broken in that relationship. And even though I'm sure um, Abe asked for forgiveness, uh, and Sarah most likely came to a point where she was able to forgive him, it would have taken a lot of time to repair that damage and, and for reconciliation in to, to re, them to be restored Um, what was broken and lost but thankfully we know the end of that story Mm -hmm. Uh, we see the redemptive work of god in that and what he did in both abraham and sarah's life and that gives us some uh, great insight and also hope hope. for in those messy 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 situations and
0: and don't you love that about the bible is that our our heroes are are messy and they 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 blow it you know big time Um, so Here's the thing. Forgiveness is a must. Forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation, though, takes two. Predicated upon repentance, trust, takes time and consistent behavior. And I want to give you a picture. How many of you here, somewhere on your, your body, you have a scar? Raise your hand, okay? See, most of us, okay? We all have scars, right? And what's interesting is a scar is the result of a wound and usually it starts with you get wounded and you're bleeding and 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 that's what happens in a marriage oftentimes is when trust is broken someone gets wounded and you have a spouse that is bleeding now what's interesting about wounds is it takes some time for them to heal And while there, you know, it says time heals all wounds, and, you know, there is some truth to that. But what's interesting is if you've ever had, you know, a a wound in that type of way, something that you got scraped or something that was cut open, you know, during the healing process, it's tender, right? You know, say you have a, a, a scrape or something on your arm and it had been bleeding and now it's healing up and somebody comes up and goes, hey, bro, and you're like, oh. You know, because it's still, it's still tender, right? If you scrape it, it might start bleeding again. Well, that's what often happens in a marriage a trust gets broken by some words or actions, and somebody is left hurt and bleeding. And then they get to this point where they forgive the person who wronged them, but that wound is still tender. And as time, you know, time has, enough time hasn't gone by yet that it has healed. And as time is going by and there might even still be, there might have been even forgiveness and reconciliation because there was repentance. The thing is the wound is still tender and something happens. Maybe he raises his voice or maybe she does something. And you know what takes place? The wound opens up again. And it starts bleeding all over again. And it has to come to that place of, of being, um, you know, healing again. And, and this so often happens. And again, this is what people don't understand is the, the, the time that is take that it takes when you have hurt your spouse, you've left them, you've wounded them. And, and now that wound is tender. But here's what's interesting eventually that wound starts to scab. It's part of the healing process. And the scab is also still tender, okay? So it's again, it's, it's taking time. But eventually that scab heals and what you're left with is a scar. And what's interesting about scars is they're not tender anymore, right? You know, I, I have a bunch of scars, but I never even think about them. Until maybe you know I'm somewhere and I'm wearing shorts and I got this you know scar on my leg where I was playing basketball and somebody had a pencil in their back pocket and I jumped up and came down on and just the pencil went right into my leg and punctured me and and, uh, and and somebody goes dude what is that and I'm reminded of the scar and that's what happens in a marriage the wound becomes a scar and that scar is something that becomes a symbol of one of two things. Listen to me. It becomes a symbol of the thing that defines you because it's what you always point back to. It's what you haven't let go of. It's what you're, you're, you're always, this is my scar. He did this to me and I've never forgiven him. And it becomes the thing that defines you as the victim. Or that scar can be that symbol in your life when somebody, you know, says, Hey, tell me about your story. Tell me about your past. And, and you can say, Yeah, I got this scar, but God. And it becomes this beautiful symbol of the thing that you could say, You know what? This should have ruined my life, but God. But for the grace of God. And we had a very Really vivid example of this. Back in 2015, we were doing a marriage conference in Phoenix. And there was this particular couple there and the wife was this this woman that just radiated joy. She was just so full of joy and so full of life and she had this vibrancy about her of just being this lover of Jesus and this worshiper and we sat down um, and had lunch with them one day and, and when we're having lunch with you know couples around a table, I love to say, hey, t- tell us your story. And she began to talk about that this was actually her second marriage and she began to describe how in her first marriage she had been involved in this abusive relationship she had a husband who professed to be a christian they went to church together but he would beat her and she would show up at church wearing sunglasses to cover her black eyes She would show up at church with her arm in a sling because he broke it. She'd show up at church on crutches because he had thrown her down and she broke her leg. And when she finally gained the courage to reach out for help, the pastor of that church had the audacity to tell her that she just needed to learn to be a submissive wife. So sad, and I think a guy like that should just be eliminated from the ministry immediately. That was so wrong, so wrong. She thought I was going to say something much worse. <laughs> you still <haven't> remember that. <laughs> but Victoria finally gained the courage to divorce her husband. But what happened to her for a long time after that is everything that he had done to her defined her. It was who she was. It was her wound. It was her scar. It was what defined... She took taekwondo classes... And became very, very good. She learned how to defend herself. um, And she would take out her aggression, her anger that was just boiling up. by, By starting altercations with people. Just so she could beat them up. I mean, it was just crazy. When someone would give her a hard time, that's what she would do. But then Jesus got a hold of her heart. And he healed her and he rescued her and he comforted her and, and he let her know that her past had, wasn't her fault at all. But we were sharing on this message of walking in forgiveness and it stirred her because she had those occasional thoughts of rage and self-defense would rear its ugly head. And I was able to share with her Because you know how the enemy loves to condemn us, right? And she'd get these thoughts sometimes, and the enemy would come and condemn her, and be like, see, you haven't changed. And I was able to just share with her that I could just saw so much Jesus in her, that it was obvious that she had been radically transformed by the Lord. And the reason was this. She was choosing to live like someone who had been raised anew. By jesus that she was coming she was choosing to live like someone who had that new life in fact would you please just turn over a couple pages to the book of colossians chapter three and we're going to kind of bring this part of what we're talking about to a head and then just give you one quick little practical thing before we go but um in colossians chapter three Paul writes something here, and Denise, you want to read the passage?
1: Yeah, it says, uh, If since then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God.
0: So he's saying here, like we were talking about before, you've been made a new person in Christ. You've been raised and brought to life. So the way that you deal with your life and your problems needs to be different than the way you used to deal with them before you were a Christian. And remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? Remember what he said? Loose him. Like, hey, Take the grave clothes off of him. Why? Because he's not dead anymore. And that's the point that Jesus is making with all of us is that we need to take the grave clothes off and realize that he has set us free. But notice he continues there.
1: Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him.
0: Isn't that an interesting picture? Put off the old man and put on the new. Like taking off one coat and putting on another. It's a, it's a it's a, a same way of saying be who you are in Christ instead of who you used to be in your flesh. And one of the clearest ways and most powerful ways that we do that is by learning to walk in forgiveness. And I want to tell you a story. A Friend of mine was pastoring in Texas. And there was a family that left their church. And they were in a small town, real small town. And if you've ever lived in a small town, you know how that goes. Like everybody knows each other and, you know, and, and everybody knows what's kind of going on with everybody. Everybody knows what's going on in all the churches. And so she, this lady and their, his family had left that, their church. And she was just spreading all these vicious rumors about my friend and his wife. And everybody knew about it. Well, he's out one day with one of the interns, and they're at Walmart, and he runs into this lady. Like they meet on an aisle, you know how that goes? And he just right away was like, hi, hey, how you doing? Started asking about her husband, asking about her kids, and his kindness, because he had forgiven her in his heart, completely disarmed her. Like she didn't know what to say and, you know, and she just kind of stumbled with her words and walked away. But the intern who knew just how vicious she had been looked at my friend and said, what was that? Was that a put on? And my friend said this. He said, yes, but not in the way that you think. He said, what I've learned to do in situations like this is just to put on Christ. And I just want to treat that person the way that Jesus would treat them. And that is such a great thing for us to learn how to do. And that's what Paul is really talking about here is this idea of putting off the old man and put on the new man by putting on Christ Jesus. And that's, again, a daily thing that we do. Now, we want to just wrap this up with some real practical tips of how to function and deal with when you do find yourself when things are maybe getting heated we want you to remember this word think okay think and there's a each one of these letters in this word is something that we just need to keep in our mind so we're gonna start with the t and the t means is it timely is it timely when I'm thinking that I, I need to say something, i got to ask myself, is it timely? Proverbs 18, 13 says, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Now, I'll be honest with you. When we were first married, I've shared this with you guys before, that my tendency whenever we would you know, get into something, it would be to you know, put on my pastor hat put on my counselor hat you know i'd want to like well you know the bible says you know or you you know that type of thing and that was not what she wanted to hear or needed to hear in that moment and so i had to learn to say okay is this timely is this the right time sometimes denise was upset about something and she just needed me to listen you know like i said a few weeks ago she just needed to vent and i just needed to be like okay i'm gonna listen you know so first letter, is it timely?
1: Yeah. Can I say, too, I, it, practical things, when, when I think about being timely with my words, it's, it's. did he just walk in the door from a long day at work? Is he hungry? Because <laughs> when I feed him, things go out better when he, Amen. When he doesn't have an Amen, stomach, brothers. right? Amen. You know, is it his day off? Are we on vacation? I mean, there's just things where you just have to ch- just learn to check yourself not and then just write it down, and we can discipline ourselves to wait for a timely manner to have certain conversations
0: you know what 's interesting about about that too is is that i don 't know if some of you guys are this way, but my biggest issue is I think too much you know i 'm always in my in my head, and uh, so there'd be I' take one day off a week and and there would be days like on a, our day off where she would bring something up and it would just send me in a tailspin, you know. For, for the whole day and so yeah learning I think that's such great advice you know ladies of just is it is and it the men, right time let's and yeah. then ladies. All right. All right.
1: you know a lot of times when we wait and we' just pray then either we decide it's not even necessary to say or we'll say yeah. it in a better way
0: so. so second letter is it helpful h is it helpful is what I'm about to say going to help matters or hurt them Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So, am I just going to say something that's really hurtful and cutting, or am I contributing to this conversation? Is it helpful?
1: Yeah. you know, uh, those times when you start to say something and then you say, never mind. you know, <laughs> And then, of course, the other person's like, no, tell me, tell me, just tell me. And Rob, you know, would do that sometimes. When I'm, and I had to finally say to him, like, okay, sometimes the most helpful thing right now is that you let me have what I would call a timeout. <laughs> like I would give my kids where I just need yeah. space to, to process. And then when I come back and say what needs to be said, I'm going to say it in a helpful Way that's going to benefit our marriage instead of tear it down. Um, Proverbs thirteen three: He or she who guards her lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin.
0: Let me let me just say this about: um, I bet you a lot of you guys are this way, but I'm a I'm a fixer. How many of you guys are that? I'm a fixer, you know. So she starts talking about something and and right away it's like well I, I need to fix this you know and and so we start getting into it and again she's not ready to hear you know my big plan or you know and and sure enough yeah she just needed to to step away
1: process i need to pray for
0: an hour yeah pray whatever mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and 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 then we come back and and we're able to so that's really good. Is it is it helpful? Is it timely? What's number three? What's is the it eye?
1: Inspiring. Job four four says your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. And there was a time in Rob's life where he was really battling some discouragement and even depression. And it was when we had Moved to Oregon and plant a church, and there was just a lot of things happening and a lot, a lot of weight on his shoulders and a lot of warfare. But I just, you know, I would tell him he's doing a good job and, you know, try to say the right things. But really, I was not fully aware of the depths of the discouragement and depression that you were Yeah, going and, and, and,
0: and part of that was this. And, and this, I think, is, is a really, you know, important thing to bring up is when your spouse is sharing something with you, don't minimize it. Because that was the thing, you know, I was sharing some, some very deep-seated things that were going on in my mind. And, and I, was, I had been listening just to the enemy on some things and really getting discouraged. And I tried to bring it up. You know, to Denise, and and her her response was like, "That's silly," you know. Like I, I was doubting everything, and she's like, "That's so That's like stupid. What are you know?" And and it and it, you know what it did? It shut me down. Where I like, I did not want to tell her anything, and so I kept internalizing, 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 and it almost got really, really bad. Um, and so when I finally was able to really share with her you know, what was going on. I think it was very eye-opening to you.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I was actually kind of shocked about it. It made me realize that he needed more than just, you know, a pat on the back and suck it up and everything's great and you're doing a good job. But I have a role and an opportunity to, like, literally inspire him and breathe life into him through the Word of God and through just loving him and listening and caring about him. So um, Proverbs ten eleven says, The words of the righteous are... Or a well of life. And we want to be couples that inspire one another with our words.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, I know some of you ladies, um, you know, you're, you, you have the privilege and blessing of being able to, to work at home or to, you know, stay home. And um, if that's the case, you need to realize this, that your husband is going off to work every day and getting radically beat up by the enemy. And, um, and it's tough. And so, you know, he, he needs to be able to know that he can confide, confide in you. And if you're both working, which is the case a lot of times here in Southern California, you're both getting beat up, you know, by the enemy because we are in a spiritual battle. And so we need to be able to confide in one another in that way. The N stands for, is it necessary? Not only is it timely, but does it need to be said at all? And that's that's a tough one. James uh, chapter one, verse 19 says this. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Um, Pastor Romaine, uh, who was Chuck Smith's assistant forever, used to say God has given you two ears and one mouth for a reason. He wants you to listen twice as much as you speak. And so sometimes we just have to ask ourselves, is it necessary like, I, I want to say this right now, but do <laughs> is it necessary, you know? And it's having. And this, again, we're talking about being spiritually people who have been a new creation. And part of that, we read in Galatians chapter 5, is that we're walking in the Spirit, and one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is what? Self-control. So it's being able to say, you know what? I can, I can have control here. I don't need to say
1: this. Yeah, so we've got think, helpful. Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And then lastly, is it kind? And again, kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, right? So what is our tone when we talk to our spouse? Are we um, pulling them down, sarcastic? What's our body language? All of those things. Or are we, having, are we showing kindness in the things that we say? Our words should direct others by compassion and point them to Jesus Proverbs 31, 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Hmm. And it's been said, if you can't say something nice, don't Don't say say anything (laughs) at all, right?
0: Paul said in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. And you think about that analogy of salt in the you know, New Testament times. It was used for healing. It was medicinal. It was used for flavor enhancing to give life into situations. And it was used for preserving. And our speech can do that in our relationship with our spouse. So as we wrap this up, conflict is normal. It's a normal part of every relationship. Um, when I am counseling, you know, couples that are going to get married um, or wanting to get married, one of the first things I'll ask, have you guys had a fight yet? And they're like, no, I'll go, well, don't come. Come back after you've don't had a fight, you know, because like they're, they're in la-la land, right? Fighting is part of a relationship. It happens in every relationship. But when we remember that love covers a multitude of sins, we will be much more prone than to learn how to practice this self-sacrificing love, this covering by learning how to walk in forgiveness and realizing the importance of how to talk through things and how to listen to one another. And that's how these conflicts come to a place where they that were not given the enemy an opportunity to get his heart, get his, you know, himself into the core of our relationship where these roots of bitterness and all that type of thing can can happen. So, amen? amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, this time tonight. And Lord, again, I thank you for these couples here and the ones that are watching online who have made this choice to take these six weeks to invest in their relationship. And, Lord, I thank you for the things that you've allowed uh, Denise and I to experience and to learn. Um, Not that we have all the answers at all, uh, but, Lord, we're able to share a little bit of our story and the things that you've taught us. And I pray, God, that you would use these things to um, just help these couples grow in the relationship with you and the relationship with one another. And so, Lord, I pray blessing upon them tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.